Thank you, Kent and Barbara, for our music tonight. Welcome to those of you joining us on live stream. On Sunday nights, we have been in the Old Testament, in the book of Hosea, but tonight we are in the book of Acts, chapter 13, and the first four verses. This is actually message number two that I've done uh, today. This morning's message from Titus 1 was on the church's responsibility in uh, calling a leader, a pastor, uh, how a church does that, what they look for when they do. But tonight I want to speak from the minister's point of view, a man that accepts a call or a man that uh, is looking uh, for God's will uh, to make a change in his life or his ministry. And I want to look at some words from Acts chapter 13 as we do that. Let me read uh, the first four verses, follow as I read. Acts 13. Now in the church that was at Antioch, there were certain prophets and teachers, Barnabas, notice his name is first, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manian, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul, <laughs> whose name comes last. Uh, this is the Apostle Paul, of course. His name was still Saul at this point, or that's his Jewish name, and that'll be changed on his first missionary journey. So uh, this description we have here then continues in verse 2. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, Now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then having fasted and prayed, that is the church, and laid hands on them, they sent them away. And so being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. And the story goes on through this next two chapters of the first missionary journey of Paul. Titus 1, we, we read that a minister is a steward of God. In a, in a special way, his stewardship uh, comes from God in this calling he has to ministry, to be in ministry, to be a, a pastor, a missionary, uh, whatever... Uh, uh, particular ministry he is in. And so now uh, God, he comes to uh, Antioch after a number of stops that we'll go over in a minute, and God says to the church, let this one go. As a matter of fact, both of them, Barnabas and Saul, because I've called them to a special ministry. Now, when a, when a man feels that, when a man who's looking for God's will and surrendered to him feels the call of God on his life, feels like the Lord is saying, uh, I need you over here, uh, then uh, that's a high calling to him. He's a steward of God to that calling. What is that call? That's a hard thing to describe, and yet it's there. It's not a miraculous call today anyway. In the days of the apostles and prophets and, and those men, uh, it might have been and often was to Paul uh, on the Damascus Road that was miraculous. Uh, sometimes it was even verbal when they heard the voice of God talking to them. But uh, beyond that, to us especially, since it's not miraculous, we don't hear a voice. We wish sometimes we could. But it's more a conviction. It's a burden. It's a desire that God puts in your heart. If a man desires the office of a bishop, he desires a good work. God puts that kind of desire in you, and it's a surrender to that. 
I felt like I responded to God's call in my life when I was 18 years old, which would have been in 1968. And uh, I started attending church on a regular basis at age 16. And so when I look back on it, it was kind of a two-year process of God working on my heart and uh, burdening me about ministry. Uh, as a high school student, you know, I got involved in a church with a good youth group, and they kind of pulled me in, and I got involved in, in church, and I just loved it, and I went all the time. It, it was a, almost an hour drive for me to go to church. I went every time. The, the doors were open. I stayed down there all, all Sunday afternoon, you know, just so I could be there. So God was really working on my heart, and you know, when you've got an hour drive home on Sunday night by yourself, you do a lot of thinking. Uh, and a lot of singing and, and things like that, which I did. No one else wanted to hear it, but I did. But, you know, I, I still, uh, and God keeps this in my memory, uh, that night at 18 years old, lying in my bed, down in that bedroom in the house that my dad built, uh, when I couldn't go to sleep and it had been two years of the Lord working on me, I, just, I had to get out of my bed, get down on my knees, and say, okay, Lord, I, I will do this. It, it just comes to a time like that. And, and by the way, last year, when I was meeting with a, and my siblings, and I always have a family reunion every year, back near my hometown, the people who now live in that house that my dad built, that I grew up in, uh, said that we could come and see the house. They had remodeled and updated and things like that. So we did. And I still remember walking down that hallway, looking into that bedroom, and I could say, right there is where I was on my knees and said to God, all right, I will do that. And that was a number of years ago. Well, that is in my life like that, and I think that most uh, people who go into ministry, uh, we call it full-time ministry. I mean, you, th this is my occupation. <laughs> this is what I do. Uh, I think they could point to some kind of time, some circumstance like that where it happened. Now, Paul, of course, met Jesus personally on the road to Damascus. And, and from that point on, he, you know, Jesus had particular plans with him. What we're reading about in Acts 13 is, all right, you've served me up to now, but now I want you to go here. Now I want you to, to leave this place and go this direction. When that happens in a man's life, it's a hard thing, especially today in a, when we don't get those miraculous visions that come to us. We have to decide in, in very real ways uh, how, do, how do we know that that's what God is saying to us. So I want to try to extract some of those principles anyway from these verses as we look at it. All right. So you have an outline in front of you or uh, on, uh, on your bulletin or on the screen. So in these four verses, let me put it this way. First of all, a man has to be self-prepared. God calls, God calls us by preparation, by things he's doing in our lives. We wish, as I said, that we could hear the voice of God, and God would say, this is exactly what I want you to do. But we know that it doesn't work that way now. So we know Paul had that, and we're told here, uh, in uh, verse 2, that the Holy Spirit said, and we can't be exactly sure how that happened in that day of miracle. It may have been something very audible to 
to, to Paul or Barnabas or the church, or it, he may be just wording it in the sense that we know that this is what the Holy Spirit is leading us to do. So in being self-prepared, let me think, I think of three things. Number one, Paul was instructed. He had been instructed. From that time in Damascus, he said he spent three years in Arabia, three years out in the wilderness by himself being instructed by God. Then we know he spent eight years in Tarsus, back to his hometown up in the Galatia area. So it's been 11 years and a little more <coughs> excuse me, since that happened. Look back, uh, you're in, in Acts. Look at chapter 9 and verse 26 of the book of Acts, 9 and verse 26. Then when Saul had come to Jerusalem, this is after he left Damascus, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him and did not believe that he was a disciple. You know, some people feel a call of God, and you're saying, really? <laughs> that person? You know, and that's kind of what they were saying about Paul. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. It's a good thing to have somebody that, like that in your life who puts his arm around you and says, let me help you out here. And he declared to them how he had seen the Lord on the road and that he had spoken to him and how he had preached boldly in Damascus in the name of, of Jesus. So he was with them at Jerusalem coming in and going out. So here's part of his preparation now in Jerusalem. And it says, uh, and uh, he spoke boldly in the name of the Lord Jesus and disputed against the Hellenists, but they attempted to kill him. You know, here, here's a guy that uh, when he was saved and went to Damascus, they tried to kill him there. <laughs> he, had to, he had to escape out of a window, and now he's in Jerusalem, and they're trying to kill him down there. You know, uh, if we had a missionary like that, what, what would we say about him, you know? And yet, we see the circumstances. Here's a man obviously giving his life to God, right? Uh, a life that's been turned around. And when the brethren found out, they brought him down to Caesarea, down to the coast, and sent him out to Tarsus. Now, he's Saul of Tarsus. This is his hometown. So he goes back there. Now, go up to chapter 11 to verse 22. Now, this church at Antioch gets going, and Barnabas has a connection there. Then news of these things came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent out Barnabas to go as far as Antioch. And when he came, he had seen the grace of God. He was glad and encouraged them all that with purpose of heart they should continue with the Lord. Good purpose statement there. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great many people were added to the Lord. That's up in Antioch. Then Barnabas departed for Tarsus to seek Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. And so it was that for a whole year they assembled with the church and taught a great many people. And the disciples were called Christians in Antioch, first called Christians in Antioch. And so when we get to chapter 13, there they are. They've been there for over a year. They're teaching, uh, and, and Saul is a good teacher. He was raised as a, as a teacher, and now he's a believer He's already been preaching, his life has been threatened, and so forth. So we see that he was instructed, 
And we've also seen, secondly, that he was proven. A man is, is proven in ministry. I mean, if you can withstand life-threatening things and still stay with the stuff, uh, you know something's good about that man. The, as soon as he got saved in Damascus, he's out in the city preaching the gospel to people. And the day before, he was persecuting this gospel. He goes down to, to uh, Jerusalem, and again, uh, with those doubters, the Hellenists, it's called, uh, those that were kind of uh, confronting the believers, he's confronting them and preaching to them and so forth. So very proven. He goes up to Antioch, and we're not told all that he did up in Antioch, but for eight more years, he's there. And you can, you can imagine he was doing the same things up there. So he's instructed, and he's proved, and then he's led of the Spirit. In this book of Acts, you, you have in chapter 9 the first story, that is when the Lord met him on the road to Damascus, and you have part of what was said there. But he's going to tell this story two more times. So in, in chapter 22 is when he, he was beaten in Jerusalem again, uh, and uh, the Romans had to you know, grab him and pull him away from the Jewish people who are ready to kill him. But Paul turns around on the steps and he's preaching back to his Jewish people. And part of that is another kind of version, if I can say that. He adds more to what happened on that Damascus road. And then clear up to chapter 26 before King Agrippa and Festus, he says it again and we get even fuller explanation about it. I'm going to read some of those words in just a minute. And so he's instructed, he's proved, and he's led of the Spirit as he keeps telling this story how the Lord, and by the way, throughout the book of Acts, the Lord appears to Paul. I think it's four different times. And every time he's about to be persecuted or he's in a tough situation, the Lord appears to him and says, do what you're supposed to do. I'm with you. Don't, don't be afraid. I like what he says in Acts 20, 24, when he comes to, he's finishing his third journey, and he says, none of these things move me, neither count I my life dear unto myself, so that I may finish my course with joy, and the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus, to testify the gospel of the grace of God. So from the time he surrendered to the time he died, he was serving the Lord. So I say self-prepared just in the sense that God prepared him and he was preparing himself and he was responding to those kinds of things he needed to respond to. Secondly, we see, and importantly here, that he is God-called. So verse 2 says, As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, Separate me, Barnabas and Saul. So first of all, you know, in God's calling... Uh, I see a moving object here. You know, somebody said it's a lot easier to direct an object that's moving than an object that's standing still. If you can get the thing moving, you can kind of turn it and direct it. And the same thing is true in our lives. If, if we just stop and we're not serving God and we're not paying attention to what God wants in our lives, it's harder to get, to get us moving, even by the Holy Spirit and by God. But if we're busy and we're trying to serve God, and we're active in church and in ministry and, 
witnessing and things like that, then it's a lot easier for the Lord to turn us and direct us in the way he wants us to go. So here's kind of this moving object. So what have we seen? Damascus, down to Jerusalem, up to Tarsus, now over a year in Antioch. He's a moving object, all right. And uh, he, he is uh, waiting uh, to see what God wants him to do. Not, not long ago, I was recalling our first five years of ministry. You know, this poor girl married me. She didn't know what she was getting into. You know, it's a good thing, you know, we made a covenant and I hold her to it because, uh, you know, she didn't know what, what life was going to bring. I, I think in the first five years uh, of our marriage, which were all ministry because uh, I was in my last year of seminary when we got married. So, and right out, and I was already a youth pastor and then an a interim pastor in a church in, my, in seminary. So we were already uh, into it. But in, in the first five years, we lived in four different cities. We had four children. And uh, I had been a youth pastor, an associate pastor, a teacher in a Bible college, and uh, some pastoral experience on the side at the time. Where in the world were we going? <laughs> you know, uh, I call this the wandering years, you know, and uh, all young people go through it, I think, no matter what kind of profession they're in. It's just those first few years you don't quite know. But uh, you gotta be, you've got to be responding and doing what the open doors are there, and then finally God kind of leads us into more permanent or long-lasting uh, positions that God wants us in. That's what, uh, what was happening here with Paul. Secondly, the Holy Spirit said. In other words, God called. Now, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit are all involved in Paul's calling and Paul's direction. And, uh, you know, we have no problem with that. There's no, uh, there's no uh, problem within the Godhead. Uh, they don't have disagreements about what they're doing. Uh, they don't ever step out of bounds. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit all do their job in a man's heart uh, to direct him the way he wants to go. We already read in Titus, he's a steward of God. This is God's calling on his life. We've already read in, here in Acts chapter 9, Jesus appears to him and says, this is what I want you to do. And here, the Holy Spirit is talking to him. Let me read some of Paul's description of that in Acts 26, from chapter 26, where he's describing uh, what Jesus had said to him, beginning in verse 14. He, he, this was before King Agrippa and Festus, and he's giving his testimony and his defense. He said, and I said, who art thou, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus whom thou persecutest. But arise, stand upon thy feet, for I have appeared unto thee for this purpose, to make thee a minister and a witness both of these things which uh, thou hast seen and of uh, those things in the which I will appear unto thee, delivering thee from the people and from the Gentiles unto whom now I send thee, to open their eyes, to turn them from darkness to light, from the power of Satan unto God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith which is in me. Here's your purpose. Here's what I'm doing. What a great thing that is. When I, when I read our missionary letters, folks, especially of those that are in tough places right now, war-torn uh, Ukraine, in the Middle East, uh, you know, I, I, I got a, a, 
a text from our missionary Tim Smith just last night said, you know, 10 kids got saved in a camp, uh, you know, in, in a dangerous area where they have to be careful that the authorities don't even see them. And Tim's over there risking his life for these kinds of things. When you read things like that, uh, you're reading somebody who has a call of God on, on his life. And that's what Paul is saying here. So the Holy Spirit said, as again, I, I'm not, we're not told exactly how that was audibly, whether he heard it, they heard it, just Paul heard it. We don't need, even need to know. We just know that uh, he knew the Holy Spirit was leading him. And then notice he was separated. He was separated under the ministry. So he says, now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So he separated to the gospel. Paul often called himself an apostle, which he was. He was a teacher, and he's teaching here in the church. Uh, as one of, as I spoke about this morning, here's a church that had elders. It had a number of called men in the church. He's a preacher. Now he's going to be a missionary. And besides that, folks, he was a tent maker, wasn't he? The, the great apostle Paul didn't really take enough support from the churches to live on. And when he traveled and when he went to a city to stay there and preach, he uh, had a job. He, he had a craft that was to make tents. He was a tent maker. And he often did that so that he wasn't a burden to the new church and so that he could kind of set his own schedule and be where he needed to be when he needed to be there. He was a tent maker. So here he is separated unto the ministry. This is what God has called him to do. And once that happens to you, you really can't go back, and nor should you. I heard someone saying, uh, a young man came before an older pastor, and uh, he says, I, th I think God may be calling me to the ministry. And the, and the older pastor said, well, let me ask you this. Could you do anything else with your life right now? Could you go into business or what and, and, and do it and make a success of yourself? And the young man said, yeah, I think I could. And the older man said, then don't go in the ministry. You know, I think you could also say there are some people who just get to a point in their ministry and said, I, I can't do this anymore. I, I've got to quit. And if you ask them, can you do anything else? And they said, no, I'd say, then stay in the ministry. Uh, it isn't always easy. It's tough. You're, you're separated unto the ministry. So self-prepared, God called. Interestingly, in uh, verse 3, I say the church released. Read this short verse with me. Then, having fasted and prayed and laid hands on them, they sent them away. Now, fasting and praying is important, isn't it? Nobody makes a decision uh, without praying about it. Uh, a, a man who's a candidate in a church is going to pray about that. The church who's going to call that man prays about that. And, and that's the thing a church has to do and a man has to do. The laying on of hands... Uh, I take it here to be more of ordaining elders in every city, as we read about this morning, or simply sometimes it was, just, it, it was just an approval. You know, sometimes we do it with a hug and a handshake. Sometimes we do it by gathering somebody in front of us and praying for that person. I don't know how many times in the last two weeks we stood in my son Michael's living room because he has cancer and he's going through that and stood there with believers who had come over to the house and we prayed for that person. So 
So it may have been just something like that. They prayed over, uh, laid their hands on him as approval, or it may have been even a, a, a specific type of ordination, what we say, is where the church gives their approval to this person. But the Holy Spirit then uh, wants the church to send them away. Now notice, they sent them away. It's an, it's an interesting expression because it would, I think, be more clear if it said they released them. It's from the root word luo, which means to let go, to let loose. Uh, so uh, apa, lusan, is to release them. Now, think about that for a minute. This, this means to release, relieve, even dismiss. Here's a church that has a great man in it. Here's a church that has great teachers. And Barnabas is mentioned first. He was probably maybe the lead teacher. Saul is younger, and he's just starting out. But boy, to have the, wouldn't you like to sit under those two guys? Wouldn't you like to have them as teachers? And then the Holy Spirit says, let them go. I've called them. I've separated them to the ministry. You need to let them go. That's hard on a church. And uh, I know I have been a pastor of a church and left that church and went to another place. That's hard on, on the church and on you. Uh, because if you feel like that's what God wants you to do. Imagine a, a, a young couple who feels God is calling them to the mission field, and God has to say to their parents, let them go. God has to say to their church, let them go. Uh, it's a tough thing on a lot of people when that happens. And so I think they must have loved Paul and Barnabas, but here the Holy Spirit is saying, let them go. Let them go. So you know, ascending church, ascending church that lets their pastor go or lets a young missionary couple go, it's a sad and a glad situation, isn't it? Uh, just like when your kids leave home f from you as a parent. It's a, it's a sad situation, but a glad one, too. And that's what was happening here. So Paul was called away, and the church recognized it. The church realized that this is what was happening in this man's life. Could Paul have done anything else? No. Really, could the church have done anything else? No. God needed them. And the best thing the church could do at that point is to say, may the will of God be done. If this is what God wants, then let it be done. So the church released them. And so we say finally in number four, if that's true, it's because they are Holy Spirit sent. So verse four says, so being sent out by not the church, and not by himself, but by the Holy Spirit. And again, we know in Paul's life, God the Father has his will, and Paul knows it. Jesus has appeared to him personally and called him. He knows that. And now here's the Holy Spirit's part in calling him and sending him out by the Holy Spirit. He followed the Holy Spirit's lead. That word, send out, <laughs> One translation of it is to dispatch. <laughs> the Holy Spirit dispatched who he wanted over here. The church released them. The Holy Spirit sent them. So sent out by the Holy Spirit, but secondly, to particular destinations. At least I, I see that here where he says, so they went down 
to Seleucia. From there, they sailed to Cyprus. And on that first missionary journey, you're going to find Paul and Barnabas going up to the, the island of Cyprus and going across Cyprus. And then after that, they're going to jump from there over to Galatia and go through there. And they're going to meet opposition. Paul's going to be stoned and left for dead on his first missionary journey. But there they are saying, this is where God called. I can't help but think again of those missionary couples who come through our churches. And boy, bless their hearts, folks. Uh, we try to be generous. We try to help a young couple that's coming. But uh, here's, here's a young man and his wife, and they may be newlyweds or, you know, whatever. And they, they come and stand before us and say, I think God's leading us to Germany. God's, God's leading us to Ukraine. God's leading us, you know, to, to uh, someplace around the world. And sometimes you kind of look at them and say, how do you know that, right? How do you know that that's what God is doing? I don't think you and I can know how God has worked in that individual's life and how God has called them and the Holy Spirit by conviction has said, I want you here. Boy, that young couple has nothing Maybe they they have some small children. Maybe they're going to have children here on the on the and and you know, folks, it takes a young couple years to get needed support to go to the field. I remember when I was a young man, some of my classmates and all who were going to be missionaries, they would go on deputation, and in two years, maybe, maybe even less time than that, they had their support and they were on their way to the mission field. Now it's four years, five years, six or seven years, and somebody's still traveling around trying to get the support they need to go live on a, on a foreign field because there are fewer churches, the churches aren't supporting as much, or whatever it is. And some, some people are just better at presentations than others, right? Uh, you, you see somebody who just makes a good presentation, and boy, uh, he gets the support really quickly. Does that mean he's a better missionary? No. It's just a personality difference. Uh, so sometimes we need to look at that person's heart and that person's calling and say, God wants that person. Some of the most unlikely people you've ever met are the greatest missionaries you'll ever meet. They just go and they do it and they stay and they're faithful people. So a church needs to realize that and uh, we need to, to help them. And it's been our policy here at the church that we know we can't take everybody who comes through on full-time support. We, we would stretch ourselves beyond what we're capable of doing. But we are generous when they come. Uh, this guy has to live somewhere between Sunday and Wednesday night. You know, he has to feed his family. He has to stay overnight somewhere. He has to buy gasoline. He has to do all of that. And so we, we want to be generous to help him get to the next uh, place at least. And we take on who we can. So particular destinations. Do you know that some of the, the veteran missionaries today who are retiring and coming off the field were veterans during wartime? This happened, of course, after World War II. It happened after Korea. Uh, as a matter of fact, our Dick and Phyllis Robart basically were veterans in, and stationed in Japan. And they met each other there, and both of them decided, let's be missionaries in Japan. We know the country. We're learning the language. They went back and were missionaries there. I know lots of guys who were 
uh, veterans from Germany during the war, or maybe the Philippines and, and, and uh, Korea and Japan. And they went back to those fields uh, as missionaries. God used that to burden their hearts. There are other young people today who go on mission trips, and, I, and I'm thankful for that. Uh, I, I think mission trips need to be specific uh, in what they do. But there are a lot of young people on the field because they went on a school mission trip sometime and they spent some time at a particular place and, and God burdened their heart with that. Uh, we're, we're supporting Luke and Bethany Snell in Germany because they were there on a mission trip together from college. And uh, as I kind of understand their story, I hope they're not listening. I probably don't get it right. Uh, they basically said to each other, do you want to go there? Yeah, I want to go there. Well, let's go together, kind of, you know, is, uh, the way they met. Well, praise the Lord for those kinds of things. Sometimes it's a personal interest. A person's never been there, hadn't, didn't have a chance to go there. William Carey just had a, a desire for uh, India and a desire for the Orient and studied that and had maps on his wall and read the books of travelers and everything until God just burdened his heart and he, he had to go. Or sometimes it's just seeing a need and you say, uh, those people need the gospel. Those people need what we have and I'm going to go do that. So the Holy Spirit sends out and I'm glad about that. Now I'm glad also that as we have been saying throughout the day, that uh, we have two parts to this change of field. One is a church needs somebody or a mission field needs somebody. And the Holy Spirit then begins to work on an individual's life. Sometimes a church puts that person together with themselves and they give a call to that person. That person says yes or no to that church. Sometimes it's a mission field, and they're saying, come over here and help us. And that person seeks the Lord and says, is this what you want me to do? But the point that I hope that this passage has taught us is when a person says, God has called me, we need to take that seriously. And when we say, when a man says, this is what the Lord wants me to do, or maybe he says, this is not what the Lord wants me to do, we have to take that seriously. Because it's the call of God and the leading of the Holy Spirit on that person's life that's the most important thing. And God directs him, and then he goes, and he's where God wants him to be, or they, I should say, together. And praise the Lord for that. All right, I want you to stand up with me. That's my message for tonight as we think about the call of God on a man's life. Let's stand and let's pray together, and we'll sing a song together as we close our service. Father, thank you for... Uh, these passages of Scripture that give us the history and, and give us uh, the, the surroundings and the context of how you work in a person's life. Now, so, Father, we thank you that not only from the very beginning with great men like Barnabas and Paul, uh, Titus and Timothy, and all of those men, but, Father, also throughout our day we see wonderful men and women who together go and serve God because God has called them to a certain place. Thank you for that. And when, Father, the Holy Spirit directs individuals either to say yes or to say no, we thank you, Father, for direction of the Spirit, and we thank you, Father, for placing your people in, in places of ministry around the world where we need them. Thank you for that. 
So continue to direct us as a church as we uh, look at, we support, we, we know various different ministries. Help us to be faithful in praying and fasting for them and giving so that they may have their ministry. And help us, Father, as we meet new people and see new ministries that we might have a part in that also. Help us to be a giving, a praying, and even a going church ourselves. So thank you for these things. Bless us as we think about these. And we thank you for what you've done in our midst too. In Jesus' name, amen. Ken's going to come and lead us in a song.